no idea when Dev starts on this. Oh, me neither. Is it now? It can't be now. There's no way. Wait, it's coming up. Okay, hold on. Okay. Places. Places. The history of film. That better who even when the lights go dim. James Cagney to, to Nosferatu and stunts that shock you and dirty, dirty tricks to your made From wings, wings to Top Gun, movie stars and no ones Romantic crazy fans that leave no real a ton Hollywood is still from history in Hollywood They chase the Oscar but it's all a sham Just like Shaq and Kazam All your dreams can come true Film history, the history of film, all of it made for you. Good God, that was terrible. <laughs> Welcome to Film History, the history of film. What up, uh, Welcome. What's up? What's up? Uh, this is uh, Bogey Part 2, y'all. Uh, who are you? Oh, wait. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm James Wyatt Scott. <laughs> I'm Dre Cummings. And I'm Sailor Dev. I'm going to bring in Radio Man to come in and uh, give you a little recap. Yeah, yeah. Come on in, Radio Man. Uh, are you feeling better today? Yeah, how you feeling, bud? I'm okay. <laughs> Everything is fake. The world's not real. Reality sucks. I don't know. Yeah, yeah he's holding up great. Yeah, he's holding up great. Yeah. <clears throat> Last we left our hero... <laughs> Humphrey de Forest Bogart was born in New York City in 1899 to Belmont Bogart, a prominent surgeon pulling in 20 grand a year in the 1800s, and his mother Maud, who made more than double that from her career as an illustrator for major advertising companies, where she'd use little baby bogey as a model for her paintings. He was born the same year as the CAG, just a few miles away, but with a vastly different privileged upbringing. After being made fun of by all the rich kids through the most exclusive affluent schools in New York, Bogey decided he was way less into school and more into World War I. So he dropped out of high school and joined the Navy, just in time for the armistice to be signed. After returning from his tour with the Navy, Bogey returned to his family running out of money after a lumber deal went bad and Belmont was in bad shape. So he took a job offer from a friend and began working at William A. Brady's New World Films Corporation. The New World Order Corporation. <laughs> New World. So I'm going to do a little bit. Is so that it for Radio Man? That's it for Radio Man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Radio Man. Have a good night. I'm going, going into the street. I'm <laughs> <laughs> in front of a bus. I'll bring him a bottle of liquor later. <laughs> this is going to be, so part two, uh, the way this thing shook out, to be honest, uh, I'm going to go into more detail about some of the stuff I talked in part one. I'm going to like buff up some of that a little bit, mm -hmm. and I'm going to bring you all the way until... He goes to Hollywood. So this is basically Bogey's like Broadway career uh, because a lot of crazy shit happened to him during these years. And I just felt like there was just stuff I couldn't leave out. Um, I finally cracked open the book, the the book on Bogey that I have, A Man with a Gun by Stephen Confer. <laughs> Why is that the title? A Man with a Gun. All of those things. Why is it Stephen Comfer? His name is Comfer? What the fuck is that? <laughs> or Canfer? 
He'll come Con- for K- you too, dude. K A N F E R. Confer. 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 Uh, I, thought, I confer. literally thought you were saying come for, like C U M for. I was just very shocked by that. Anyways, Man with the Gun is a type fucking name for a book about somebody. Yeah, Man with the Gun, man. And I, I broke open this book and there was so much shit that I missed. Uh, just so much shit. And so I'm going to go into it. Before I begin. Where we did leave off in part one, uh, and where we will begin part two, is uh, a little, a little, a little piece of time that I would like to tell you about. In when are we? Where are we? Where are we? <laughs> Back in time. There's two theme songs to this right now. <laughs> 1921, the outbreak of the Roaring Twenties. 2021 was the beginning of Drake's Rage in 20s, and 1921 was the beginning of the Roar in 20s. <laughs> Sex, drugs, and jazz, baby. And Bogey at this time is 21 years old, just a sleek little fucking hairless Bogey ready to fuck. You know what I'm saying? And he did. I'm going to tell you about all the fucking that this man did. It is off the charts, my man. <laughs> You're not going to believe it. This man fucked everybody. But uh, <laughs> But he's 21 years old, but he still can't legally drink because prohibition that fun old thing was going on around this time um this is the year that charlie chaplin released his first feature-length silent film called the kid and this movie made about 2.5 million dollars in the box office back in those days and when you put that through the old inflation calculator that's the equivalent of about 40 million dollars in 2022 and that's like the second biggest movie of the year um, the first biggest movie was The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and that raked in $4.5 million, which is a modern-day $72 million. So it kind of gives you the idea of like the size of what the audience was in 1921. That's how many people are watching movies, you know? Okay. One of the biggest songs of the year that came out came out of uh, Tin Pan Alley in New York in 1921, and it was called The Sheik of Araby. A song inspired by a big Rudolph Valentino movie that year, The Sheik. That doesn't sound politically incorrect at all. <laughs> no, no, it's bad. And uh, it was also an adaptation of the popular 1919 romance novel of the same name. Yeah, no, a very white man played a sheik in uh, <laughs> The Sheik in 19... Rudolph Valentino. And uh, the, the song... So the jazz song, The Sheik of Araby, comes out inspired by the movie. Like, they, they wrote this song... In Tin Pan Alley that I mentioned, Tin Pan Alley was this little alleyway in New York that put out, like, half of the world's jazz, and the other half was coming from New Orleans, basically. And it was just this, like, few blocks. It's still there. All the old buildings and shit are still there. They're trying to, like, keep it from being torn down right now. But do yourself a favor. Google Tin Pan Alley. It's some good shit. But the lyrics to the song, I'm the Sheik of the Araby, I wanted to bring them here today because this is 1921's biggest song of the year. Oh, God, are we, are, the get, are we going to get canceled for reading this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to get canceled. This is just real creepy. I'm the Sheik of Araby. Your love belongs to me. At night when you're asleep, into your tent I'll creep. The stars that shine above will light our way to love. You'll rule this land with me. <laughs> uh, that's the song. It was even around this time, it was very popular to call like a young man on the prowl for women a sheik. 
Like that was it. It was was. Is there a, like a racial undertone to that? Oh, absolutely. Like, okay, absolutely. All this has this very weird, like uh, you know, Middle Eastern traveler to the United States. Wait, type but of was vibe. was it meant to be like, oh, Middle Eastern guys were like creepy, creepy. on the prowl? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Or was yeah, it meant yeah. to be like Middle Eastern guys were like cool and exotic, and all the women love them? No, probably, who, probably depending probably on who the you former. ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably depending on who you ask. You know, I mean, it's kind of like a pimp, right? Mm. Like the guys back in the day loved to be called. You called your friend yeah. a pimp, and it was a good thing. Yeah. But like pimp was not and a good thing. It's a sex trafficker. I would, sure. I, would guess, I would guess it's because <laughs> in that area of the world, it's common to have several wives, and you know that's almost seen. I guess as more like a pimp, like a harem, <laughs> or like it's like there in Utah, you know, <laughs> right? Utah, yeah, yeah. Utah, they got a lot of pimps in Utah, those those soaking Mormons, I tell you. <clears throat> but yeah, this is the beginning of the jazz age. It's uh, jazz, prohibition, gangsters, mafia, you know, like you're in 1921. It's the beginning of the roaring 20s. You can, you can picture it in your head. You've watched Great Gatsby. And uh, I won't go into heavy on like, the, I went really heavy on the jazz history at one point and then I just scrapped it all. And I was like, this is about Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> Over here telling like a dissertation on Tin Pan Alley, but uh, <laughs> but that's when are we? That's culturally okay. when are we? I didn't okay. go over a lot of like big things that happened that year. It was just a lot of wars. Just okay. know that yeah. and communism is, was way on the rise. This cool. is fresh yeah. off love the Great it. War, <laughs> right? Yeah. So like, everybody wanted mm. to party because they had just seen hell. And if you survived World War One, you were like, "Fuck yes." What year is this again? 1921. 1921, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, that was, Bogey came back from World War I. That's what we, that's kind of where we left off a little bit-ish. He comes back from World War I, back to New York. Very much a liberal guy. A lot of guys were coming back from World War I with their whole minds changed about shit and also didn't know what the fuck to do next. Like, Mm -hmm. that was the recurring theme was this, like, dislocated... You know, like, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, it, you kind of, you probably feel like you served your purpose in life a little bit at that point for mm-hmm. a lot of these guys, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I'll talk about that. But, you know, there's something. Uh, this is kind of important, too, for the setting is the year before is the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, which gave women the right to vote for the first time. Right. Yeah. 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 No, the so Roaring Twenties. That's the culture of the Arab sheep. <laughs> right, 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 right. A lot more independent uh, people running around. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But I got to bring you back. I have to, there's a few things, that, there's a few amendments that I have to make to part one, but there's one big addition <laughs> that I have to tell you about. Uh, you remember how Steve McQueen was in that kid gang that we talked mm-hmm. about in the Steve McQueen episode? Mm-hmm. Well, Bogey was in the gang? Bogey started his own kid gang when he was a kid. Whoa. That I did yeah. not know about, man. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Wait, why was he respected by the other kids? Because he's a rich kid. You know, like, when to be like, you're not, you're not one of us, man. You're not from the streets. Your dad didn't kick you out. Very good was, question. He's the only one with the gun. 
<laughs> he probably he did have a gun, definitely. But that is a good question. Uh, it is because they were all rich kids. Oh, this was a rich kid gang. Oh my god, a rich kid gang. A rich kid gang. It's like my dude. It's like you you try to like you try to like stop them from stealing your bread, and they're just like, my dad will sue you. Yeah, exactly. Give me the fucking bread. Exactly, dude. They were the Seneca Point gang. And Seneca Point. You even sound rich. Yes. And now I'm just Seneca imagining Point like gang. a frat house, but children. Exactly. Like they're all in fucking like uh, pop collared shirts, aviators, and like fucking boat shoes. That is, you are on the money. That's the precisely they, the what this gang looks like. The way they battle is by singing doo-wop songs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Absolutely, dude. And he was the leader of the gang, Seneca Point was the property that Belmont had bought up in uh, Cananuga Lake or however the hell you say it. But it was their it was their big lake house vacation home in mm-hmm. Seneca Point and all the rich kids around them followed Humphrey mm-hmm. in this fucking Seneca Point gang that he started and they called him the Hump. That was the hump, dude. Because he was humping all those people, dude? Yes, yeah, he did a lot of humping. Bro, did you I, get humped by the hump, dude? Ironically <laughs> enough, Seneca is the name of one of, one of the main tribes up in the Finger Lakes of New York. So, like, there's the Seneca tribe, and that, that tribe in the Finger Lakes, the Indian Native Americans around there, were... Um, the founding fathers modeled the trading system off the colonies off of their tribes. So they had right. a big influence on the Constitution and everything. And great cigarettes, great cigarettes. That's Shout out to Seneca Cigarettes. <laughs> Probably did a lot of advertising for Bogey's movies back in the day. But yeah, the Seneca Point gang, man, it was this. It, uh, it's so wild to me to think of like there was a time where like cigarettes were just like advertised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was like, hey, kid. There was a time where when Frank Sinatra was doing the Frank Sinatra show on live television, they'd bring out a bar cart and he would smoke a cigarette <laughs> and they'd have like a Ford on like a fucking, you know, big ass rotating platform. He's just like drinking and smoking on camera. Like, all right, there's a new Ford. You love it. Come buy it. <laughs> you love it for. You love it for. Come buy it for. Every four comes with a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> Every four comes with a bar in the car. You can drink and drive. And now, many cigarettes for the kids. <laughs> I've watched a lot of old movies, and there were a lot of like. Uh, drinking and driving scenes <laughs> in old movies, man. Wait, really? Oh, it was dude. very common back in the day. One for the road. Yeah. That was literally an that's, old wait, saying. That's, oh my god, that's hysterical. I think it was a song too. Yeah, one for the road. It was an old saying in old movies <laughs> and in in just old life where they'd be like, before you get in your car, like steady your nerves with a little bit more scotch. And you know, like. my old drinking days. Fun fact: it still yeah, is a saying. It still is a saying and still exists in Puerto Rico and several other places in the Caribbean. One for the road. Yeah, you they're can like get a to go to cup. Drunk. I was. You know, happily driving out of a bar and be like, they they went, no, you forgot your drink, and they gave it to me. <laughs> yeah, one for the road. It's like, listen, everyone else on the road is going to be drunk. You don't want to be sober. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. it'll be way too stressful for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be in flow state, bro. <laughs> don't think about it too hard. <laughs> right. Just get a little sauced before you go. But <laughs> by the way, this is not uh, endorsement of drunk driving for all right. no, no, no. there. You're not drinking for drive. legal purposes. Unless you live in 1950. <laughs> That's why <what> we're saying. <laughs> yeah, unless you're currently in 1950, do not drink and drive. But uh, no, it was basically this gang of rich white kids, Bogey's family's lake house, and dude. Also, speaking of this fucking lake house, man. That lake house was a dark place for little Humphrey Bogart. There's no wonder he joined a fucking kid gang. Like, for real. Uh, 
I was completely wrong about Belmont. Belmont was absolutely throwing bottles at Bogey. Oh, really? While he was growing up. Ah, it was very expensive ones. Damn, the very yeah. expensive ones. Turns out Maud and Pemberbrook, uh, <laughs> Belmont, were both hammered off their fucking asses all day, every day. Belmont had a raging opium addiction. Cool. Uh, he was just Wouldn't that mellow you out? Well, that's the thing. Later no. on in life, it did. I was like, but, not with withdrawals. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and at the time it wasn't it, at the before the morphine got bad. He was just a real drinker. Uh, he and Maude both were exactly drunks. what you want from your heart surgeon yes. to be a real drinker. Yes. <laughs> he was a real drinker. He was, uh, he was definitely getting. God, one that's for the terrifying. Road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, doc, are are you okay? Yeah, I was studying my hand I a am. little bit. Bust open this bottle of scotch and go ahead and one for you, one for me, baby. <laughs> It's uh, it's an anesthetic. It's, 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 it's it sterilizes the the equipment. <laughs> He's like burping in your face, <laughs> dude. If they, if he, had, in 1920, if they were like, you're gonna have to get a heart surgery or you die. I'm just taking my chances. <laughs> like, I'm just gonna be like fucking swimming in the New York rivers, just like trying to get it over with, dude. No way, I'm going under your drunk ass knife. You're gonna like accidentally cut other parts of me out. I know it. It's gonna be a painful death. <laughs> it's like oh, going, this. Don't worry, you won't be able to hear anything over the sound of your screaming. Uh. <laughs> Somebody absolutely in that day was like, shouldn't I get anesthetic? And the doctor's like, I already took it all, dude. <laughs> well, there's, there's a little left. <laughs> <laughs> a little for me, a little for you. A little for me, a little for you. <laughs> but I, I, thought, you know, I thought you were good. I just, you know, well, I was going right. to hang on to this myself. Wait, <laughs> where did Bogart come from? Bogart, like yeah. his mother's family's name was Bogart, uh, but his dad's family's name was Belmont. Yeah, I know. It, no, his last name was something different. Uh, I'd have to go back up to part his one. His first name was, was Belmont, place. right? Yeah, his first name was Belmont, and her name was like Maud Humphrey, which is hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> but, but his last name was Bogart, and his his dad's last name was Bogart. Belmont okay. Bogart. There, it's that rich people shit. Okay. It's rich late 1800s. Where did Pemberbrook come from? I just made it. Oh, okay. I couldn't remember his name on part one because Belmont is just a stupid white rich fuck name. So Pemberbrook was just like the closest, you know, thing that I could find. I'm sorry. If your name's Belmont out there, I just fucked you up. I'm so sorry. It's a cool uh, name. It's, it's a good name, it's man. It's the name of the kidding. vampire hunters. The Belmonts. <laughs> really? Yeah, from the Castlevania games. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. Richter well, Belmont. They named, they named him Ooh. after Humphrey Bogart's opium addicted father uh, <laughs> but no a lot of shit happened at that lake house man uh good there it is on good sources that actually the the lip scar that humphrey bogart had that he mm-hmm. said the doctor fucked up you know yeah uh that was his dad it's it's on good authority that his dad did punch him in the fucking mouth when he was like 13 mm-hmm. at the lake house and then tried to stitch him back up and was so fucked up he couldn't do it right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so hey, what we assumed. Well, what yeah. we assumed. Look, yeah. Guys, look at the bright side. At least he tried to stitch him back up. I mean, that's nice. Right, right. It's like, oh damn it, I'm too, oh. I'm too drunk for this. Yeah, I bet you're right. That was probably the sweetest moment between him and his dad. His dad's like, fuck, man, I'm so sorry. No, he's like, bitching me... out. He's like, oh, you pansy you ass, pussy ass. Get caught. It was just, a... it was just a fucking bottle, you he, bitch. He's like, stay still, stop moving. He's like, uh. he's like, 
I'm perfectly still. You're the one that's swaying. <laughs> yeah, you're shaking like fucking Muhammad like, Well, Ali. maybe if I had my scotch, I wouldn't be shaking so much, but somebody had to take the throne at them. But my, yeah, somebody had to be the target for my scotch bottle, and my bitch wife keeps drinking it, too. She's like, hammered it. as well. I knew, Humphrey, I knew you fucking drank my bottles of booze. I knew it because there was at least three here an hour ago, and they're all empty now. He's like, Humphrey, one of you drank my scotch. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, one of you little bastards. What um, are you doing? What are you doing? Which one of the three of you is the one with the lip thing? <laughs> but that being said... I've stitched uh, up two of your three scars. <laughs> that being said, it's so funny, Dev. You're not far off from the uh, gang activities that they partook in. Uh, the Seneca Point gang, they were pretty harmless for the most part. They'd go around like shooting shit with BB guns and like your normal kid shit. But what they really would do is... So, you know, they probably like killed a train hobo or something, but that was just like normal <laughs> shit. But that's just normal rich guy. That's stuff. just normal rich. Yeah, guy if you're stuff. rich, you go out and you kill a homeless. Yeah, murder yeah. is like I think a pastime. I, I don't think you can get into the seventh grade without doing it. Right, right. And then <laughs> not at this, not at this private school. No, yeah. no, no. You at, at, at Seneca Point, you get thanked for every homeless person you kill and throw into the lake. You know, that, that's just cleaning up the cleaning up the beach. But uh, but one of the members of this kid gang. <laughs> One of the members of this kid gang was, I mentioned him earlier, but this is how they met. Bill Brady Jr. was in the Seneca Point gang with Humphrey Bogart. We mentioned him in part one, but I'm going to talk about him a little bit more here today because he's very important, very vital to Humphrey Bogart's life. Uh, Bill Brady Jr. was the son of William A. Brady, an American theater actor, producer, and sports promoter. This guy just had like this crazy premiere or career. He managed heavyweight boxers. Like he 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 managed the two like heavyweight uh, champions at one point, and he just made like a ton of money all over the place. He's just like a hustler, you know. William Brady would give the Seneca Point gang kids stuff from his Broadway plays that he wasn't using anymore, and they would put on shows by the lake. They would put on plays. Whoa! <laughs> yes, cool. And it's so funny because. Just like, I can't remember, who the fuck were we talking about that set up a theater in their basement? Wasn't it Cagney? Might have been. I think I it was Cag, I man. don't remember. We gotta, we gotta do Cag again. I know. We gotta, I do, know. Another, we gotta do Cag Revisited. Yeah, I don't retain a lot of this, because I have no, to write a lot. Yeah, well, we don't have to. It's on record. Exactly. Why well, remember stuff when I can just listen back to right, it? Right, right, right. <laughs> but they would take, so they had these, like, you know, these, like, rich kids had, like, dad's, like, Broadway shit that they would put plays on for at the lake, you know? They had, like, Broadway-level props and shit, really expensive stuff. And uh, I, I was just thinking, I was I could just see like Dev as a kid, like getting handed like you know Broadway shit to do a show with. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So for kids, it's a, it's, it's like a big, you know, you're like, yeah. you, you kind of gave me some meaty work to start for off with. Sure, I'm eight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there were just like kids with expensive stuff, man. Yeah, so we don't have Elmo yet. You're gonna have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> and I got a little bit more as well about his relationship with Maud, his mother. And you know, like I said, I found out Maud was a big drunk herself. But uh <laughs> Humphrey said there was a period in American history when you couldn't pick up a goddamn magazine without seeing my kisser in it. <laughs> Cause Maud was painting him, you know, right, for yeah. all those ads, mm -hmm. but 
as I said, I found out a little bit more. I was wondering, like, did she like him? You know, mm-hmm. like she would paint. No, she still she was, hated him. He was a free model. He was a free model. She did not give a shit. He said when he got home from the Navy from World War One, basically, mm-hmm. Maud basically like didn't hug him. Was just like, hey, like. Glad you're back. This is giving BoJack Horseman. Like this really? is like this is really BoJack Horseman energy. <laughs> Just like uh like a hateful like absentee father and a drunk mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's his parents, and that's so um, interesting because we talked about the. The contrast between him and Cag, but yeah. at the same time, he was just a rich version. Man, it's the same thing, only all their side right, of the fence, dude. dude. It's all relative, it's bro. It's all relative. It's all relative, you know. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh and yeah, Bo- Bogey, like I said, he was pretty much, when he came home from the war, he was just kind of lost... And uh, didn't know what the hell was going on, what he was going to do next. Uh, when, he ca- when he got back, Belmont is fully just fully taken by morphine at this point um he's he's like losing his business fully taken he's by morphine. fully taken by the 1920s morphine and uh, i mean he's one of the richest surgeons in america mm. he he can just take the needle from his office you know what i mean like he had yeah. free reign to all the morphine that he possibly wants. he's like the perks of the job baby perks of the job baby i get it and it uh, goes one for me one for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> Basically, his big bad lumber investment, by the way. I found out some info on that as well. Okay. Uh, he had invested like a shit ton of his wealth into lumber to build ships for World War One. But basically... That's hilarious. Yes. As soon as he did it, the war ended. And now he has like lumber yards just sitting there to build warships that he has to sell for pennies on the dollar. Now. Oh, whoa. So he lost a shit ton of money. Whoa. Um, lost his... Well, that's his... what happens when you're a drunk fucking heroin addict. Yes, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Characteristic of all those times. Yes. What do you mean the war's over? Like, the war will never be over. It started yesterday, damn <laughs> His fucking drug dealer got him into that. He's like, dude, I got a fucking scheme for you, my man. You know war? You know war? Yeah, we can do, we can make money off of that, dude. Uh, dude oh, no, it's never going to end, man. Never going to end. Trust me. This is a big one. They call it the great one, dude. It's a great investment, and it's a great war. <laughs> you guys are, like, making me visualize Cheech and Chong go to war. <laughs> uh, I would watch the shit out of that. Harold and Kumar go to war. Yeah, Harold and Kumar go to white war. Uh, <laughs> but that's where he lost all of his fucking money, and he also, he's losing his practice as a surgeon as well because uh you know surprise surprise being hammered and on morphine while you're trying to do heart surgery is just not the best not the best uh way to go about it so you're so, telling me he was losing clients he was losing oh, clients left and, right. and that also means like for for what it's worth what that also means is like he's losing big powerful friends as well like mm. his clients and the people that he hung out with uh, were, you know, New York's elite. He was like one of the mm, New York elite yeah. people with this big $20,000 a year salary that he's pulling in as a surgeon. Now he's just got a bunch of boats. Exactly. Now he's lost all of his fucking money. He becomes mm. like the joke mm. of, for all the elite people because he's yeah. losing his practice. Yeah. And he's just like quickly becoming a, a big nobody yeah and mod could give two fucking shits yeah. he actually he takes a job 
Uh, he took a job as just a regular physician on ocean liners that were coming back and forth from Europe picking up those soldiers and shit. Ah. He took a job as like basically like a physician, which is honorable. It was a good way to go. Yeah. But also he did it because he lost his practice. You right. Know? He was... Yeah. He was he, and it fucking got him out of the house and away from Maud. Yeah, he's just happy. looking to get the fuck out of there, bro. Yeah. He would have taken a job in a teepee in Alaska if it was available. <laughs> it was like, do the boats have morphine? Right. <laughs> Maud and, well, then you and got yourself a physician, my those friend. Boats have, those boats You're telling have so me much... I'm thousands of miles away from that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Those boats have so much morphine, it'll boggle your fucking mind, dude. That actually was a huge thing in the 1920s. One of the reasons we had so much heroin in the streets is because of World War One. These huge ships of fucking morphine were coming back to America, and a lot of times uh, it fell off the truck, you know, like a lot. Like, it was... If you were a jazz musician in the 20s, you were doing heroin. There was no two ways about it. Like you if you were a musician, you were on heroin and it was mostly coming. It was not just fucking heroin, war grade morphine that these yeah, people yeah. were doing in the 20s. That's much better than heroin. Yeah, way better. Pure and safer probably too. Morphine. It's just like <laughs> you got yourself a position, you got my yourself friend. A position, dude. You could pay a fucking if you were someone in New York, you could pay one of those dudes, uh, the the loadmaster on a ship. The load that's master. what they were there. So they were called. <laughs> they still have them. You can still be a loadmaster. Yeah. Okay, a new one. Shout out to Ryan. But, I mean, uh, <laughs> they're called seamen. Yeah, they uh, are. Yeah, a loadmaster seaman, man. <laughs> you can pay him enough money to where you have that ship now, and that's your fucking morphine. You know, like a, a, a oh, brigade's man. worth of fucking morphine. <laughs> anyway, that's where we are. That's a little bit more of when are we. So, yeah, oh, what are we? So, no wonder Belmont is, is fucked up out of his head. He goes he goes on a, on a morphine <laughs> cruise at this point. He's like, I'm fucking off. Which pissed off Bogey because he's like, well, shit, man. Like, you were the guy with the connections. Now mm -hmm. I'm just here with fucking Maude, you know? <laughs> Maude don't know, by, know nobody, you know? She's just a fucking drunk. But, uh... <laughs> I'm sorry. Maude had such high esteem in the first part. I'm sorry, to, you know? But, look, No, man, I, I kind of She assumed, was kind of a piece of shit. I kind of assumed both of them were fucking terrible. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's... I was like, there's no shot that... She's using him for anything other than a free model. Right, like, right, she might right. have had a kid so she could have a free model. Like that might have been like, well, I'm gonna spend just as much on paying for a model. I might as well get someone who can do chores too. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, but turns out Belmont does wind up helping Bogey. I think he like he got a clear head. Heart. Yes, like uh, he got away. He got seasick, vomited a bunch. <laughs> yeah. like went through the way out of the morphine. Couldn't get any more because you're in the middle of the water. Right. Woke he up was like, sober. Wow, man, I'm a bad dad. <laughs> After the chills, he was like, "Oh man, maybe I, I shouldn't have thrown that bottle. I should rethink some things about my life." <laughs> <laughs> so he uh, he starts making calls in New York, and uh, basically he's trying to help Bogey uh, get a job somewhere in New York. You know, something that something that's worth his fucking salt as like a rich kid's a rich kid. So 
He holds down a lot of odd jobs, not as many as CAG, but quite a few. And uh, he landed an entry-level executive position at the National Biscuit Co. at one point. He was just like a biscuit guy. (laughs) Making biscuits, Making biscuits, you know, making that money, making biscuits. It's Uh, cool that, like, back in these days, it's like, again, because there there wasn't as much of, like, an establishment or, like, uh, you know, um, nepotism or grand being grandfathered in. A lot of these guys, like, had to work, like, real jobs and stuff. There wasn't as many like dudes who are just like man i've always been rich yeah so, well he always has been rich but he actually worked like real jobs like that's yeah. cool yeah he worked as a tugboat inspector A tugboat inspector. yeah overall boat guy a he boat worked guy. around boats a lot probably making sure that they got all that morphine to the you know to the dock uh he also worked for the pennsylvania railroad for a while just doing train stuff he said that he quit that job because he realized there was fifty thousand people between him and the president <laughs> I don't know. I guess he was like, one day I'm going to be president. 50,000 people is a lot of people that of people. you got to go through. To, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, I that's, thought that's he job. was referring that he was going to assassinate a president or something. <laughs> <laughs> There's 50,000 railroad workers keeping me from killing the president. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they're just all it takes is 50,000 and one. Stop me. <laughs> 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 Oh man, uh, he worked on Wall Street as a runner for a while. That he got a lot of Wall Street experience. Mm, uh, interesting. He, yeah, he that's where all the anger shows, came from. Yeah, <laughs> that just shows you how fucked Wall Street is. They're like, yeah, yeah. Well, this won't be a bad idea. We're gonna employ this dude, and then you know, literally, the Great Depression happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was. He became. He was like. Very much, he went through like a, a Charlie Sheen in Wall Street phase for like a hot second. <laughs> he was like Gordon Gecko's understudy. He was just like a little runner. He was just running documents and yeah. you know doing shit. But you know, man, those guys at the time, it was like, hey, also, you know, I can give you some extra work if you like. Uh... Yeah, and also a runner's a chill job. Like yeah. you're just you're not <laughs> you're not you're not like in an office all day. You just like you're getting to like get go around town. Right. You know, like talk to different people. Like you're mostly just doing errands for somebody. It's like you know what I mean. Like and those guys were probably like. You know, they can hook them up with some cool shit after the job's done, you know what totally. I mean? So, like, it makes a lot of sense. And just tell I them how I looked for runner work when I first moved to L.A. I didn't, yeah. I didn't land anywhere, but, like, I was like, that would be a great, like, young totally. job, you know what I mean? Totally. I knew a guy who ran, ran documents for uh, law offices. Yeah. That was a great job. Yeah. Dude, it, was, it was, like, from 8 p.m. to fucking 5 a.m. or some shit. But according to Bogey, man, he was only holding down these jobs so he could make enough money to support his nightly partying at New York speakeasies at the time. He was a huge part of the underground club life in New York. He was going to all these speakeasies. Uh, they said that he knew all the passwords at all the doors that he would go to these speakeasies to. And he always, every single night, he would go to a different speakeasy. Every single night, he would have a different girl with him. Like, he was dating every single girl in New York at the time, basically. That's so funny. He's this, at the time, in 1921, he is this, for one, a war vet, but also a rich kid. Uh, even I mean, his family lost a lot of money, but still, like, in comparison to who everybody else at the time, his mom's mm-hmm. still making fucking basically a million dollars a year, you mm-hmm. know? So his mom is still very much a millionaire. I mean, they are... I mean, his name probably still holds weight, too. It's yeah. like, ah, the Belmont. The Belmont. The, but he's not a Belmont, Belmont but he's a, he's a Bogart. He's a Bogart. Yeah. I'm confused. Yeah, his but. name, but he was. He was like this <laughs> yeah. kind of like a rich kid. 
going around town. He's yeah. dating all these women. He knows he, all. He's of a ours. war hero. He's a war hero. Yeah, and he works he, for law office. Right, they get the he, best coke. Yeah, he works medical for fucking Wall coke. Street. Yeah, yeah, medical grade coke. Yeah, he's got morphine and cocaine <laughs> for sure. He knows the pastor to every speak. He's dude. What a fun fucking. He's in his twenties right now. Yeah, he's he's twenty one years old. Oh my at the time. god, dude. he's literally the best life you could live in the nineteen twenties. Twenty one like, years is the, old. Yeah, at every speakeasy, they said he would like pay cops if a cop was like near a speakeasy or like he knew a cop was about to come in he would just pay them and they would just go <laughs> okay like you're good we're gonna we'll go bust up another one. Oh my god yeah. of course he was a fucking of baller of course he was like popular absolutely uh he and he also had this thing he played it right he didn't go to the expensive speakeasies. He didn't go to like where the rich kids were going. Mm, he went he, where the poor kids were. He went. He was the big fish in the small bar. Yes. Yeah. He was the shit because yeah. he would buy a round of drinks for the whole bar That's so for smart. people who couldn't afford that shit. That's so you know? smart. And uh, <laughs> as a matter of fact, one of the elites at the time, Lenore Strunke, who later became the wife of Ira Gershwin, who was this huge musician, uh, a Gershwin tune I'm sure you've heard. The whole Gershwin family was this big family. And she was, at the time, she was like a socialite actress type of, you know, in the scene. And (laughs) she remembers Humphrey Bogart at the time because she also was like a rich kid. She remembers Mm -hmm. him. And she said, uh, he was an attractive boy, but not very popular with my crowd. For one thing, he ate onions and he didn't write poetry. In fact, he didn't do anything interesting at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, but he's not getting like any kind of allowance. Like all the money he's making, all the money he has, he made himself. He makes his own money, yeah. and I'm sure there's a little bit left from you know. Mm. I'm sure, mom. Yeah, I, I'm sure it was one of those things where it's like, I hate you, but also you're still my son. Yeah, here's, here's your here's your money. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like I'll pay you if you leave me alone. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but it was around this time where he's he's bopping around all these New York bars that he reconnects with an old buddy. An esteemed member of the Seneca Point gang, old Bill Brady Jr., comes back into the mix. He also is bopping around New York speakeasies and all this shit, and they're all just crossing paths, you know? They're all just in the 20s in New York. It was a smaller town at the time. Not small town, but it was smaller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, also... How how ten million people live in Los Angeles? It's the smallest town I've ever lived Absolutely. in. You know? like I bump into people I know every day. Yeah, if you're yeah. just like if you're if you're in if you're in that crowd, like it's a small town. Definitely, so. definitely. So he runs into old Bill Brady Jr. It's like, holy shit, man! I haven't seen you since the Seneca Point gang. You know what you been up to? And they begin clubbing together. Cool. Uh, yeah, they become friends again. <laughs> resparked relationship. They're like the Seneca Point gang clubbing comes back together. <laughs> clubbing, dude. It was like a different form of clubbing. The clubs at the time are clubs that I fucking wish we would bring back, which were just like supper clubs, basically, where you would sit at a table, your homies would sit around you in chairs, and you would eat and drink and smoke until you were fucking cross-eyed, and they would do live performances on stage the whole night. Oh. It'd be comedy or music or burlesque, That's which cool. was illegal, but like... You would, the supper clubs, you'd watch fucking uh, Frank Sinatra, you know, sing while you just got shit-faced with your friends, you know? <laughs> and that's what the speakeasies would have kind of been like, or just a normal bar, Amazing. you know, with the fucking yeah. pool table and yeah. shit. But, uh, yeah, no, Dev is right. It was not clubbing like uh, 
like boots and cats, you know. <laughs> there's no, there's no EDM and Molly. Right. There's no go. flashing mm-hmm. lights. I think back in those days they would have had seizures. Yeah, I was about to say know? they would have all like they would have all just epileptic. Yeah, out. it's uh, like the morphine. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Jr. Like I told you, his dad is huge. He's this huge, like uh, you know, industry guy. And Bogey kind of feels like, what the hell am I gonna do with my life? He's real down in the dumps about shit. I mean, he's having fun, but mm-hmm. where does this all lead to? And Bill Jr. is like, well, you should come work for my dad, man. Like, we all, it was like a family business. So, just <laughs> come work for my dad, dude. Come work for my dad, dude. Like, my dad's got a big company. <laughs> and he fucking did, dude. William A. Brady had inked a deal to secure the funds to produce Street Scene, uh, a play which was written by Elmer Rice. It went on to win the Pulitzer Prize, and it netted Brady roughly half a million dollars in, uh, like, 1918 or something, which, when you put that through the old inflation calculator, is over $8 million these days. So Holy shit. Dad's got some fucking money. Whoa. Yeah, his dad was no joke, like, really making a name for himself in the industry. And uh, basically, he had taken some of that eight mil... And through, like, gritted teeth, started a film production company in New Jersey called World Film Corporation. And he didn't want to. He thought movies were like a fad. Uh, these, like, moving pictures are going to go away one day. This is, like, you know, just some some flash-in-the-pan type of shit. He basically thought it was like TikTok, you know. <laughs> but his kids, Bill Jr. and Alice, basically talked him into it. They showed him... Uh, the profit sheets from Fox and Universal at the time. And they were like, Dad, like this is the amount of money these motherfuckers mm. make. You know, you made eight mil off a play, I get it. But yeah. these guys are making like yeah, yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, yeah. serious. This is like money. a play but better, dude. <laughs> like it's like a play but in a in a movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's flat. Yeah. It's, you, you only have to do it once and then you just keep replaying it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You don't have to worry about all that shit. And Dev, I'd be I remember we used to talk about this a lot in the old iteration of film history where, like, that hollowed ground of Broadway where theater people and film people didn't really mix and theater people looked down on film, Mm -hmm. you know. It was like... Arguably uh, still do. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They thought it was like a bastardization of the art. You know, of course. Yeah. Especially in the yeah. early days because theater just been around since, you know, sh- fucking the Greeks and you have Shakespeare. Yeah. It's like right. there's like a longevity throughout human history of that. And this is this brand new art form. And, yeah. And, you know, probably the same way, you know, people come out, you know, approach like new tech now and shit with like a phone or whatever the latest thing is. Right. Fucking TikTok. TikTok. YouTube. Movies were TikTok at the time. Yeah, YouTube. I mean, no one. I no didn't one say still, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they were—they're just as wrong now as they were then. Exactly. So. <laughs> but Bill and Alice were like, "No, dude. Like, this is not TikTok. This is—you know—this is some serious shit. You can really make some money off of it." And so he started his own company. Uh, as I said, like World Film Corporation. And uh, not to mention, this guy also, he, another voice in his ear was his wife, who he had left his old wife when he made that $8 million. He left his wife, married a movie star, pretty mm. much like immediately. Um, her, She was this silent film actress named Grace George. And she was also like, well, if you start making movies, I can be in them. 
you know, and I fuck you, so start making movies, you know, and if you want to keep fucking, yeah. you'll do this. Yeah, you know, uh, I want to make some movies. <laughs> so this company was born, it was this like family business with the whole fucking Brady bunch of the day, uh, and... And William A. Brady, he was. He was this theater guy through and through. His total theatrical outpoint at that time uh, included over 260 plays. But in 1921, the new Roar 20s, you know, he couldn't miss the opportunity, blah, blah, blah. So he launches two movies at the same time in New Jersey with World Film. And one of these movies is called Life. And he was, like, hiring people like crazy. You know, he's just dumping money into this thing. He's, he's building a film company and a film at the same time, you know. And Bill Jr., this is when Bill Jr. was, like, at the club with Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> he's like, actually, my dad's launching this movie and this big company. Why don't you come work? He's hiring people like crazy over there, you know. Oh. Yeah. So that's, so that, and that's the job that you were talking about at the end of the last episode. Yes. And this is just more context as to how he got that job instead of just being like, and he just found a job. And he found a job. <laughs> and yeah. it's so important because mm. this is truly like the 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 turning point for his life. Right, yeah. Know? Where he's just jumping around from like gig to gig, not yeah. really sure what he wants to do except for like go out clubbing. Yeah. To be like, and yes. how he got like getting a direction in his life. Yeah, like this guy, mm. this was one of those stories where it's like, a sad night at a bar with his old buddy Bill Brady Jr. that they used to be in the Seneca Point gang together, like turned his whole life Dude, around. Dude, that's crazy. Sometimes people from your childhood or like long time ago just pop back up and be like, Absolutely. "Hey, man, lutely." <laughs> you ever thought about? You ever thought about this other thing? Happens all the time, man. Yeah, basically, a few months into the production of uh, Life, Bill Brady Sr. he gets pissed at the director. And he fires him, uh, and he sees Bogey, the office PA at this point, and basically just hands him the job. He's like, finish this fucking movie, you know, direct this movie, uh, which Bogey was not prepared for in any shape or form, you know. And so uh, Bogey does a terrible job. He does, like, a really bad job trying to finish up this movie. Apparently, you, you can, like, see him in the reflections of shit and some of the shots that he was getting, and... Just like totally unusable shit, and so William had to step in and finish the movie himself. But uh, they tried him out as a writer as well. He wrote a script for World Film Corporation. Does anyone at this office really have film experience? Not really. I so mean, they're all just kind of winging it. Yeah, no. He, I'm sure he got a lot of people who were working in the industry, but also because was there, there weren't a, new- a lot of people who yeah, with about film experience. Say in New York, there can't mm-hmm. be that many people. Like, there's not really a New York film industry at the time. Yeah, that's why it was so, so easy to get a job. Yeah, that's why I, isn't Edison still like hunting down people that are using his tech? Because the Edison's based in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. So like how. How do you even do that in New York? Because the whole reason they went, they maybe like was this like long enough past that where, um, like the, that that whole thing had already resolved? Uh, I'm sure not. This was definitely still they were still definitely having wars with Edison at this time for mm. sure. So um, like I'm I'm not even sure like how this would operate. Yeah, I don't know either, man. But they found ways around it. I know that. I know, mm. and a lot of them were just straight up ripping them off. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. World Films Corporation. Maybe there was a reason he named it that. It's like it's not a production studio. It's a corporation. You know. <laughs> Legal <laughs> jargon. Yeah. So they let Bogey write one. They're like, try writing. <laughs> Directing did not go well. Try to write. So he writes this movie. I wish to fucking God that I could find the script of this thing because they deemed it way too violent for World mm-hmm. Films Corporation. They were like, 
this is, you know, at the the part where you cut the guy in half, it's just not for us. You, know, <laughs> you like saw a guy in half with a fucking switchblade or whatever. He's, he's writing a script about shooting twelve year olds. Yeah, and they're like, we can't, we yes, can't do this. Exactly. Give exactly. it a couple more years, Bo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a couple years you'll be able to do. He was like. like that. You don't know the, the struggles of war. It's like, bro, you don't either. You got there and it was over. Yeah, exactly. You were on a boat. You <laughs> were just fine. sitting there with a cigarette like, <sighs> the trenches. It's like you're yeah. in the Navy, my guy. <laughs> there are no trenches. <laughs> but it was they, they deemed it too bloody for world films. But uh, fucking William A. Brady did send it over to Jesse L. Lasky, a guy who was starting his own little movie studio at the time that would become fucking Paramount Pictures later on. So Bogey's scripts, he actually like got a script to this guy because of oh. William A. Brady. Nice. Yeah. And uh, Dev, you had an interesting story about William A. Brady that I wanted to say on the air. Bro, his dad, was f- Papa Brady, was fucking wild, man. He came into this existence of this world where his dad was a newspaper man, but... He, uh, his father just happened to kidnap him from San Francisco and bring him to New York and forced him to sell newspapers on street corners like fucking the Newsies. Yeah. Jeez. I wonder if a bunch of those Newsies were kidnapped. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if a bunch of those Newsies were kidnapped. You know? Uh, Well, I I don't uh, know how his papa died, but, uh. He his papa died at fifteen, and then he went back to San Francisco and started acting. Yeah, he he was an interesting guy, man. Like I said, uh, that story where he managed one of those heavyweight champion boxers. Mm-hmm. He managed the guy as an actor, and then like saw the guy boxing in a gym one day, and was like, "You should actually box." And fucking got the guy a fight, and the guy rose the ranks to become the fucking heavyweight champion, and. And he like managed this guy, and then he got more clients who were like boxers, like it just huge so boxers. Happened that like the dude he cast in a movie became a fucking great boxer. <laughs> That's yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's so crazy, man. You can't even write this shit. I mean, he was probably just paying people. You know, it was probably just all like <laughs> now, whatever. You're gonna oh, take yeah. a dive on this one, right? Son? Yeah, exactly, exactly. We got a whole crate of morphine in it for you, <laughs> yeah. fresh off the boat. <laughs> Fresh awesome. off the fucking truck, baby. <laughs> but uh, don't worry, the hump. I got a doctor on the inside. <laughs> don't worry, the hump. You know, he might have not been a director. He might not have been a writer. But at some point in the story, he does become an actor. Don't worry, Th- things work out for him. So, <laughs> but uh, in 1921, you know, he's like, yeah, let's just fucking. Uh, my scripts are about people who get murdered. All right, that's all there is to it. But he's 21 years old. He's working at World Film Corp. He's just like he's learning the industry this is definitely like film school for this guy you know he's he's learning the ins and outs and and uh as i said before he's hanging out with the actors of these movies at the time and this is where he starts to see like these people are more me you know Mm, yeah he's like this is i like this yeah i like these guys yeah uh and so alice brady uh william a brady's daughter who was one of the people to like talk him into giving uh, bogey the job in the first place all that 
Uh, she was becoming a great play director for her dad's theaters at the time. She was on this fucking huge run, basically directing Broadway shows for her dad at mm-hmm. the time. And apparently she was amazing. Like they say, she was a really great director for plays. She was making a name for herself, even though, you know, she was a dame at the time, which was a big deal. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually really impressive yeah. that they, they, um, the, they didn't gatekeep that from yeah, her. Yeah, yeah. She was uh, she was doing it, man. She was a, a boss bitch. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? But uh, she she saw Bogey working hard, and she said, let's make him a stage manager. Mm-hmm. He can't direct. He can't write. Uh, maybe he can be a stage manager. And they said, okay, well, yeah, why don't we, you make him your fucking stage manager? And she was like, okay, well, then I fucking will. You know? <laughs> so she brings him on. She's, she's about to tour this play called A Ruined Lady. Uh, and she brings him on for $50 a week as her stage manager. And when you put that through the old inflation calculator, that's about 800 bucks a week, 21 years old. Plus, he's already rich. You know, he doesn't really care. I mean, still, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. Uh, get another round of the club money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he was still spending it all at the clubs. <laughs> like, he would leave he would leave work and go directly yeah. to the speakeasies. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Nice. Uh, pretty with much the, his whole life. With the actors. Yeah, with the actors. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and come in drunk the next day. You'd be like, I could get used to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, a stage manager at the time. Dev, you know more about stage managers for sure. I mean, at the time, they said he was basically like a, a glorified runner in a way. Back in these days, I guess. Well, yeah, uh, I mean, I guess it all it, the time period kind of depends. Traditionally, a stage manager is like uh, the on-set producer, right, right? You know, like the one making sure like everybody's in their spots, all the set pieces are getting moved on, on and off. If some if something goes wrong, they're the ones like fixing it, that kind of thing. But right, yeah. it, back in this day, that's what I mean. I could have been just a more of like a gopher or like a to fix it person or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I think that was kind of his job, but he was really good at it. They actually really, like, he shined at this, you know. Mm. I swear, this family did more for Humphrey Bogart than, like, his own family <laughs> yeah, ever yeah, did, yeah. for it's, sure. It's kind of like this adopted family. It's, yeah. It's cool. The moral of the story is if you're a kid and you can join a kid gang, do it. Do it, yeah. Because it will come back around mm-hmm. and be a good thing one day. Mm-hmm. You yeah. Know? Uh, <laughs> shoot that light bulb out of the BB gun, dude. You, it's It's fun. You know, uh, <laughs> terrorize neighborhood. Yeah, terrorize I, neighborhood. I feel like kid gangs can't work anymore. You nah, know I mean? they'll just much. shoot them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The police shoot them. That's what happens to kid gangs nowadays. But uh, there was a stipulation in his contract, though, as a stage manager. And another thing that I thought you'd think was interesting, Deb, uh, in his contract, he also had to understudy for every single male role. As he was stage managing, mm-hmm. so he was learning all the male parts just that's, in case somebody fell through. But that's kind of common, right? And right. Like, it's right. usually not in the contract, and especially not in professional theater now because it's like that's a union and like there's two different jobs. But if you're in like community theater and local theater or something like that, even now, like the stage manager is supposed to know every line in the show because right. they need to be listening and paying attention to make sure everything's going correctly. Like something happens on stage and it, it starts taking the show longer time and like all this stuff. Stage manager is the one coordinating those adjustments behind the scenes. So it, you know, I don't know about performing it necessarily, but you definitely should be like that intimate with the show that you have like a very, like you understand everybody's part and how long this is going to take and all that shit. Right. Yeah, and he's just getting like intimately acquainted with the whole stage scene. You know, he's just he's really learning on the job as he goes for sure. 
Uh, and after a few months into being a good stage man- manager for Alice, she kept kind of poking and prodding on him like, you should act. You know, you're learning all these lines. You're an understudy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had you out here for like blocking and shit before. I've seen you act. You yeah. can do it. You yeah. should do it. You know, yeah, you're just as drunk as them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're a, you're a degenerate just like the rest of them. You might as fucking well. And, uh, but he kind of still had it in his head. Like acting was for losers. Mm-hmm. You know, he had been raised as like that job is for fucking you right. know, street poets. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> if you want to be broke. He was hanging out with them and they were they were they were showing him they were showing him it was a little bit different than what he thought. You know, okay. they they ate onions as well. And didn't write poetry, you know, as that one lady said about them. <laughs> they're all just in a bar eating I, onions. I love onions. I onions are great. Love onions. They're so good. Yeah. And I don't write poetry. Yeah. So we're bogey's type. You know. Yeah. <laughs> And, ag- have been. and again, he saw it as like they had a higher salary than him. These fucking mm-hmm. actors, he was like, these guys don't do shit, mm-hmm. and they make more money because they go and like pretend. You know, mm-hmm. that's the way he saw it. Yeah, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. he like had respect for it, but also at the end of the day, he just kind of thought it was a sweet gig. Yeah, yeah, and that was the rest of his life. As big of a yeah. movie star as he was, he always said like. Acting is just a fun, yeah, weird thing that we do. Like, yeah, he never yeah, went yeah. to a fucking acting school. He never yeah. went to a class. It mm-hmm. was just, it was acting. This is fun. It's yeah. fun. I'm playing yeah. pretend. Yeah, I don't have to file paperwork. Yeah, I don't have to run shit around. Exactly. <laughs> and I make a shit ton of money doing it. Yeah, which I'm sure that mentality did not sit well with a lot of the actors that he was around, you know? Yeah. I'm sure they're like, wow. We're like taking it like way too serious. Yeah. And he was just like, guys, it's supposed to be a fun thing. Yeah. He's like, you guys don't do shit. You know, we just lie for a living, right? Like, (laughs) (laughs) you guys don't do shit. I'm doing the real work out here. Oh God. He'd, so he'd hate method acting and shit. Oh my God. Did you say he did not like, uh, James Dean? He was one of the main, uh, arch enemies to James Dean. Yeah. He like hated him with like a fire and Marlon Brando. He's like, these guys are fucking weird. They're in a cult. He thought they were like in a cult or some yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wait, was he long uh, alive long enough to, to yeah. see uh, James Dean? Yeah, he died in 57. Okay. Yeah. All right. He saw yeah. the whole thing go down. <laughs> the whole thing go down. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yeah. I, no, I can't remember who it was, but it might have been him that said something pretty mean about James Dean. It's him or Brando. Yeah. It might have been Brando. Yeah. But uh, one of them said something pretty fucked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, <laughs> it was a weird kid. Yeah. Well, we, uh, we, 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 we already did that episode. Yeah. 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 Go, go back, back and listen to that if you want to see it. what yeah. we said. <laughs> yeah. That information is out there. <laughs> yeah. We said it once. Yes. Exactly. We could not be held responsible for remembering everything we said. <laughs> finally gives in he's like fine i'll be an actor mm-hmm. you know fine i'll be a broadway actor if you really want me to be uh he makes his stage debut for alice brady's play uh in her play 1921 play called drifting he played a japanese butler uh and uh i don't know if you remember this or not he's not japanese right right yeah. uh so <laughs> yeah I remember I remember this from the last episode. Yeah. He played this Japanese butler. They said he was caked in yellow face powder and the corner of his eyes were marked with heavy black lines to make him Japanese. And his his sister comes, his uh his sister Frances, her new husband Stuart, and old Belmont even came to the theater that night to come watch him. Maud did not. Maud mm-hmm. was busy. But uh, his dad, his sister, and her new husband have come to watch him. And he comes out on stage, caked in this yellow makeup, and he delivers this one line. 
drinks for my lady and her most honored guest. And I'm guessing he said it in a very offensive accent. If I had, a, if I were a betting man, I would bet that. Uh, good thing, good thing. Recordings of that are not still around. <laughs> I have it in my notes here. Yeah. It is footage that I would love to see, but I'm sure he is glad is not out there. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it was it was burnt. It, it burned up in one of those famous like warehouse yeah. fires <laughs> that he set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's like, the reason the original this. copy of Wings isn't still around or whatever. It's because he had yellow face in there. <laughs> Belmont really thought he did great. Belmont was like, "Wow, like my son's a fucking actor, you know." I swear, man, it, just getting away from Maude and getting a little bit of morphine in him. <laughs> it's like my son's a great actor, and you know what the best part about him is? That scar on his lip gives him character. <laughs> yeah, uh, son, I could see your scar clear as day. It looked great. It's memorable. Memorable. It's, it's like a signature <laughs> from Papa Bogey. <laughs> And, I mean, not to mention, he's high as shit. There's no doubt. He's sitting there in the theater watching this go down, just, like, melting into his chair. He's probably like, this is amazing. You know, like, this is, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> That's my kid up there, man. <laughs> Holy shit, I made that with my dick. <laughs> and now he's up there being Japanese. He's not Japanese. He's not Japanese. Oh, you wouldn't know it, though. You wouldn't know you it. You wouldn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> You'd think little Humphrey was Japanese the way he's selling this fucking play. He's, he's going to bring us back out of the gutters, I tell you. No more timber deals for this guy. Just morphine all the way. Morphine all the way. My son's going to be a Japanese movie star. They got movies in Japan, right? They got movies out there. I heard that place is going to be in a war someday. I'm like, what? <laughs> having, like, premonitions you know, of World War II. Uh, so, anyway, Alice uh, and a few other heavy hitters on the Great White Way, if you remember, that's what Broadway was called, are, uh, they're there that night. There's some, like, big people in the house. You know, mm -hmm. Alice is a heavy hitter, man. She's a baller. She's got... Big-ass producers in the crowd. She has packed the house with some of Broadway's finest, and they all see Bogey do his thing as a Japanese butler. I don't know why, but everybody was like, that kid's got it in him. But it was not like a big part, right? No. Nope. like that one line? One line. And then he also he doubled as a few background parts for like okay. crowd scenes. But he had one line as a Japanese guy. And, uh, you know, this is where things get a little... I don't, there's stuff missing here for sure because it's something about this. Everybody was like, that guy. It's the, it's the Kevin Costner thing where yes. there's like, there's some part of the story that we're not yes. hearing. Who yes, did he blow? Dude. <laughs> yeah. Or like, who did, who did he pay? I mean, who knows? You know, he was who rich, knows? you know. Maybe he really gave a good Japanese accent. They were like, that's the most racist thing I've heard all day. And I live in New York in the 1920s. There's, that's yeah, impressive. That's impressive. That's impressive. <laughs> There's a possibility that one of them was like, wait, that guy's not Japanese. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> They've never seen a Japanese yeah, person before say, in their life. Ever in their life. And they're like, oh my God. I, I thought he was Japanese. <laughs> they're the New Yorkers. I thought he was fucking Japanese the yeah. whole time. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Uh, so yeah, he basically does this minstrel show, and it was like a big fucking deal. And uh, this play ran for a while, dude. He did it was like a thirty week run or something of him doing the Japanese Butler, <laughs> which like gave him his whole start. And two things happen at the same time. Uh, Hamilton reference for Bogey while performing on Drifting. He fell in love with a castmate, and he started booking shows on Broadway. Now, like. He is officially entering the uh, circuit of Broadway actors Mm -hmm. already. Like, uh, I mean, you know, I'll tell you how it happened. But while doing Drifting, in 1922, he met actress Helen Minken, and they got married while he was doing this show. They got married May 20th, 19... Oh, no, they got married later on, sorry. They were married later on, a few years later, May 20th, 1926, at the Gramercy Park Hotel in New York City. Uh, And he and Helen, by the way, I read a very interesting story. While they were dating, while they were courting in New York, they had this very, like, bohemian, open relationship. They were kind of, even their marriage, uh, they agreed to be an open marriage at the time. And they were hanging out at speakeasies with the likes of Leslie Howard, a big like British star. He was starring in The Green Hat at the time. Helen herself, she was starring in a play called Macropolis Secret uh, on Broadway. All these people on Broadway. Mary Phillips would hang out with them at the time she was starring in The Wisdom Tooth. Mayo Mithat, I don't know how to say that guy's name. Uh, he was starring in Alias the Deacon. All these Broadway stars. And one of them was a very short, dynamic tap dancer by the name of James motherfucking Cagney. <laughs> no way. Yes. That's so cool. Yes. They were friends. They were friends. That's so cool. Yep. While they were doing Broadway together, they were drinking together. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Bogey and the Cag, baby. Dude. Yeah, man. And they did They did quite a few movies together. I was reading more. Um, but yeah, man, this is all intertwined. This is all intertwined with the Cag. It's, it happens that way sometimes. Yeah, man. Yeah. Wait, who was the, the, the Irish Mafia? Was That was Cagney's like, gang of people back in the day, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Did they have any bleed over with the Rat Pack? Uh, or that early, or bogeys the early bogeys. Rat Pack? <laughs> yeah. Probably. I mean, that might be one of the reasons why he got all those roles, you know, after <laughs> playing the Japanese butler. <laughs> but, um... It did not take long for Bogey and Helen to divorce, by the way. They divorced a year later after they got married. They apparently, like, remained friends. Meekin said in her divorce filing that Bogart valued his career more than marriage, and she cited negligence and abuse as well. And um, I do hate to say it. This will come back up. Um, Bogey had a lot of marriages, and uh, a lot of uh, bruises and cuts and well, bloody noses came so out of these marriages. I, I have oh, kind of a theory. Uh, you know, it, I just found out, and maybe James, you can correct me if this is wrong, but apparently during filming of The Treasure of the Sierra Madre, he had to wear a wig mm. because he was taking hormone shots so he could increase his chancing of, the chances of having a kid. So his hair fell out from the hormone shots, but he eventually would go on and have you know four kids with Bacall. But during the filming of that, they you know made him wear a wig because he had like spotty hair. I would know a lot about that. The the hair falling out, not the needing hormone shots for a kid. 
So, but if you're, <laughs> if you're drinking all the time and, you know, the thing you want to be working isn't working so well, you'd be angry too. Right. Not that that's an excuse. For sure, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, no, for sure. maybe the old, you know, and he, bogey wasn't blasting full steam and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he was pretty yeah. self-pissed about it. Yeah, and I uh, I definitely, in part three, that's what part three is going to be all about is his movie career, but also the bogey and Bacall is coming in part three. Uh, I want to wrap that all up together because bogey and Bacall was a different story. I think she was, like, the first one to stand up to him. I see. So, but, the, but there's evidence that he was, like, domestically abusive. There... Uh, at the time, they would put it in different ways, but no yeah, wonder. like they said... <laughs> he was uh, like, Kag, the characters you play on screen are really something. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of his wives, Mary, uh, who was also a big star, who he married almost immediately after his divorce, uh, he married her, and they said that they were coming out of, like, a club, and he had, like, claw marks on his face, and she had, like, a fucking black eye, and they were, like, beating the hell out of each other. I think he got into some fucking tussles with his women until Lauren Bacall. He didn't. I don't think he beat on Lauren Bacall at all. Not. Not. Not only. I, she also was She's like famous. three feet taller than him, <laughs> and had even more bubbling rage than he did. So she probably was like fucking caught his hand one day and was like, "I'll kill you," you know. But uh, like, like we're talking about a woman who chain smoked cigarettes on purpose so her voice would sound like fucking, you know. It's that scene from Batman v Superman where Batman catches the punch. Yeah, he just looks down. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You don't beat Lara McCall. Like you did, you don't, you don't lay a hand on Laura McCall, you know, not saying those other women or any, you know, but it was just, it was different. And part three, we're going to get all into it. Cool. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> I had to throw that out there. I mean, it's important context. It's important you know context. I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, indefensible. But yeah. I'll bring you more info next time. Yeah. And part three, I'll bring you. There was never like an official allegation. Uh, but back then, there was no such thing as the official right, allegation. Right, 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 so, right. They were like, you know, what? Like, he had a bad weekend? Like, it's, that's the official <laughs> allegation. He's not throwing bottles? Oh, you're, right. What Let are you complaining see. about? Oh, my God. What? Wait, never mind. This is worth talking about. Oh, my God. His third wife once stabbed him in the shoulder <laughs> and threatened him with a pistol at a party. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's some uh, allegations there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! All those women they were hanging out with, he wound up marrying at one point. He married Mayo Mathot as well, a lively, friendly woman when sober, but paranoid and physical when drunk. <laughs> They're saying that she attacked him. So, oh man, this is a whole giant that, situation. That, yeah, that's man. What they always say. <laughs> Who had? Bruises? But, but there was. But the girls he was hanging out with also had bruises. Uh, like his wives also had bruises? I'll get back to you. Okay. Part three, I will talk about whether or not Bogey was a beater. <laughs> <laughs> was Bogey a bleeder or a beater? That, it's very oh fair. We don't, we don't want to We need to add game show sound effects here. to that. <laughs> <laughs> We're playing beater or bleeder. Up next, Humphrey Bogart and the Doors. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> really funny. Interesting. It's funny, too, because my next line is Bogey preferred to learn by doing. <laughs> he learned by, he learned, he learned it, you know, he learned it from dad. He learned it from dad. Back before the morphine, dad used to swing his fist a lot, you know. <laughs> Maybe Bogey just should have gotten some of his dad, his dad's chill drugs. But, uh, <laughs> Isn't that? Fiending for that fiend, dude. <laughs> Pretty interesting, though, right? Belmont's 
transition on the, in this story. Yeah, right. Like, it was yeah. pretty crazy. He like chilled out when yeah. when Bogey got like twenty one. He's like, hey man, it's all good, it's all man. Good, brother. I'm on I'm on different drugs now, man. <laughs> I mean that's it. I think like he probably do that just violence. like put down the bottle and picked up some Xanax or something. <laughs> that was the old me, man. That was the old me, man. Were, no. they, were they uh were they smoking opium at the time, or were oh, they like yeah. in, uh, okay? They've been smoking opium since the old old days. Yeah. So was it was it less injecting and more of smoking, or it was like, it was both? Oh no, yeah, they were injecting. Yeah. A okay. Lot. okay. Yeah, yeah, because like I said, those morphine. Literally, these morphines that I'm talking about that were coming back from war. It looked like a fucking tube of toothpaste with a needle at the end. Mm-hmm. And you would just fucking jab that thing in and crank it as much as you wanted to. Mm-hmm. And that was like, it was meant for if you were fucking dying with a bullet hole in your chest. Mm-hmm. And they're just trying to get you comfortable. Uh, but these guys were getting comfortable and like playing the trumpet. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're getting real comfortable, man. <laughs> His dad's like, Why is all this comfort reserved for the bullet guys? Yeah, man. I got shot once. They're about to die. They don't need to be comfortable. <laughs> I got shot by Al Capone. I need some of that. <laughs> I just took a shot. <laughs> I just took a shot. Does that count? Does that count? <laughs> burr, 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 burr. He starts playing his fucking his, 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 uh, his horn. All those horn players, man. <laughs> fucking, uh, look it up. Heroin horn players. Just Google it. Uh, there'll be some Rolling Stones article, like the scourge of heroin with horn players in the 1920s. Anyway, so... <laughs> Bogey preferred to learn by doing. <laughs> he never took acting classes, uh, but he was very persistent. He was like, he really, once this thing took, he was not giving up. He was going out for every fucking role he could find. And uh, he was working on acting. He was rehearsing and shit. He was going over his lines. He just, he didn't believe in anybody else's tutelage, basically. He just, he, he taught himself. Uh, he was autodidactic in acting. Wow. Um, right? Boom. Film history is getting classier and classier, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he, but between 1922 and 1935, he was uh, he appeared in at least 17 Broadway productions, major Broadway productions. That is, uh, he often played juveniles or romantic supporting roles in drawing room comedies. And is reportedly the first actor. Dev, you might know about this. I had no fucking clue what they were talking about. Uh, it is a legend that Humphrey Bogart was the first one on stage to say tennis. Anyone? Is that a is that a thing? I guess it was a thing. Is that a phrase? I guess that was like a popular like people were going around quoting that like it was fucking uh, liar liar. It was like shit. a meme. Yeah. yeah, it was like a fuck. It was a meme. Yeah. It was a meme. Yes. I said liar, liar. I'm like, I, I went even further back than Humphrey Bogart for a movie pull. Um, <laughs> he's, he says he didn't say it. Uh, everything that they said he did, he said he didn't. You know, he's like, no, nah, that wasn't me. No, no, well, no. I mean, you know, also, Vader never said, Luke, I am your father. You know right, I mean? yeah, like, yeah. Uh, people just misremember Humphrey shit. Bogart did. Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart. Bogart said that on stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's where they got it from. Yeah. <laughs> he was also doing a lot of yeah, see, you know, oh, okay. this was Give the yeah, cag yeah. The yes. so, Dude, the cag and go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Dad. The cag was like a mentor to him a lot. Like That's the cool. cag was also giving him fucking like because you know he wasn't an actor in the first place. The yeah. cag was a vaudeville guy, yeah. So he yeah. was getting a lot of like uh, tutelage from the cag at least yeah. on stuff. So I know where the ahead, origins Dad. of tennis anyone comes from. 
Uh, okay. It's a phrase that was common in the early 1900s um, to describe like uh, an indifference of things going on outside of one's own perspective. So it's like, I don't really I care about what is going on right now. So like in a scene, if there was something really important happening, one character would be like, Man, tennis anyone as like a joke. Right. So it, it was, was like a tension breaker. It, yeah. It was oh, like okay. it was a stereotypical entrance or exit line given for like a, a like comedy. a sitcom. Yes. And, right. And so it was like that way and like was a thing in like pop culture. And then I guess uh, he was claimed or was you know t- charged with being the first one to like say it and make it popular, but. Damn, Deb, that was a fucking nugget, baby. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> Hell yeah. I yeah, it'd be like if uh Belmont and Maud were like throwing bottles at each other and Humphrey comes in, he's like, Tennis anyone? Yeah, exactly <laughs> like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a really perfect funny. example. Uh, it's a sitcom shit. Yeah. Bogey could not get a fucking good review if his life depended on it when he first started. Uh, Broadway critics hated this guy. And he was booking work. It was basically one of those things, like, people liked him, the critics did not. <laughs> Very Jared Leto situation. Yeah. Actually, the inverse. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh... Alexander Wolcott, a huge Broadway guy at the time, a, a, a critic, he said uh, he is mercifully described as inadequate that was what he said and other critics were a little bit nicer um one wrote humphrey bogart gives the most effective performance both dry and fresh if that be possible um (laughs) no that doesn't make any fucking sense what do you mean yeah 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 he he just like he really had he didn't land with the critics very well for a long time It, it began to change later on in his broadway career but at first I wonder, though, a lot of people probably go through that, especially on Broadway. Mm. It's so stuffy and, yeah. like, like you, you know, the gatekeeper thing. Yeah. They're just like, this kid's not shit, yeah. you know. It's like, I, I liked him better when he was doing the racist bit. <laughs> <laughs> but he was settled in, man. He was full-blown an actor. Uh, he's getting used to, he works three hours a day, mm-hmm. so he has successfully done his, like, I fucking conned the system here. I'm making more money now than I was as a stage manager. I'm doing less work. I'm hanging out with fucking the hugest stars on Broadway. I'm the shit. I'm becoming a little bit famous. I mean, even though bad reviews are bad, it's still getting your name in the fucking paper every day. Mm. The guy's getting out there. You know, people know who Humphrey Bogart is in the 20s at this point. Mm. No doubt about it. Uh, he's bopping around. CAG, baby. The CAG. Yeah, and uh, he starts getting a little too comfortable. Um, one night towards the end of the run, he was doing a play called Meet the Wife. Um, he had been cast in that as like a pretty big role at the time. It was a pretty key role in this play and it ran for a long time. It had a 232 performance run at the Claw Theater. So from November, 1923 through July, 1924, uh, Bogey's doing this play and he killed it. He crushed it. He actually did get like a few actual kind of good reviews for this thing. And I think he just started to get like a little bit like, okay, well, this is what I do now. And one night towards the end of the run of this play, he goes and finds one of the girls that he goes out with every night. He's like, fuck it. I'm going to party. Like, I got a show tomorrow, but I don't give a fuck. And he goes and he hits the Cotton Club in Harlem. 
Uh, he said he watched Texas Gwanon. I don't know who that is. He watched Jimmy Durante at the Dover Club that night, and then he hit Chumley's in the village until like 8 a.m. or some shit, <laughs> and then he brought this girl home, and they continued to party until it was time for him to go to fucking work. Amazing. He has not slept. He's oh, still hammered. my God. Looks like shit. Shows up on stage. They said you could smell booze from like the front row on this guy, and he can't remember a fucking line that he's been doing for months now. And they said he literally... <laughs> I love this visual. They said he was leaning against the furniture. <laughs> As he's trying to do this play, he's just like trying everything he can to just survive this thing at this point. <laughs> Incredible. And what a said, great castmate. Uh, yes, uh, that is exactly what Mary Boland said. She was the star of Meet the Wife. She was the wife in Meet the Wife. And uh, she said, quote, Get this, Bogart. You'll never fucking work another play with me. <laughs> and he was he was let go. Yeah. Um, yeah. As, as you are. As you should be. <laughs> as you are. And I would say this was a big wake-up call for Bogey, which it was. But the big wake-up call for him was like, I'll drink less next time. You know? I mean, uh, that's the lesson. <laughs> that's the only lesson to learn. That's the only lesson to learn. he can't stop drinking. Right, no, no. That was never an option. He, he didn't stop drinking. <laughs> drinking from the time he was like 15 until his death yeah. that man drank every day who could blame him dev and i had, lived in the 20s <laughs> we talked about the african queen i can't wait to get to that part but yeah we were talking about it on part one where there's a he, he and the director survived because they didn't drink the water they only drank alcohol during that movie i so, mean the so universe has a fierce sense of irony but a lovable sense of humor yeah <laughs> <laughs> But he was uh, he was glad to get out of the role. He hated the role. That was probably one of the reasons. He was like, fuck it. Like, I hate doing this role anyway. We're almost done. Uh, he's made his salary, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. during the week. And uh, he, he said he disliked his trivial, effeminate early career parts, calling them white pants willy roles. <laughs> white pants willy. Whatever that means. Yeah, whatever the fuck that means. It probably meant more at the time. People were probably like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Uh, <laughs> white pants willy so in 1924 he was in a play at the comedy theater called nerves and hits it off with his co-star mary phillips who uh she would become a huge star as well all these people that i'm mentioning mm -hmm. are all becoming they're they're becoming movie stars they're becoming broadway stars and then movie stars like cool. his whole crew of people just became huge you know he had like you said he had the rat pack mm -hmm. before the rat pack before the rat pack you know, because he had like yeah. two more after this oh my god yeah and uh it goes from kid gang to kid gang kid gang to kid gang to kid gang <laughs> somebody uh, looking for love and approval <laughs> I mean, he didn't get it from Maude, that's, that's for damn I mean, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's looking for what was missing with Maude. Uh, and they had this back and forth thing for four years. They got married in 1928, just in time for Wall Street to crash. So he has this whole career that is building up from Broadway mm. from 21 until 1928. And. Wall Street crashes and Broadway fucking goes dry. Mm -hmm. Like uh, he, the theater, uh, William Bill Brady Sr. Mm -hmm. loses most of his money. 
most of that eight million that he had made is gone now because he's sunk it into all these theaters. And just like with Pemberbrook and the fucking uh, lumber deal, these people have put up all this money into these theaters and business is hot. Mm-hmm. And then Wall Street crashes and now no one is going to the theater. Mm-hmm. There there's not a soul in these fucking theaters at the time. Mm-hmm. So all the photogenic actors who look good on camera are like, well, I'm going to Hollywood. Yeah. This is done, and I'm going to pack my bags and go. Mm-hmm. And that is where I'm going to bring you in part three. Ah. Bogey goes to Hollywood. He's like, I'm hot. I'm hot enough <laughs> to make it. <laughs> yes. That's exactly what he said. In part three, I'm going to tell you, Bogey goes to Hollywood, picks up a big agent, and his first contract at Fox... Uh, I'll also tell you, he also fought with Jack Warner quite a lot. He and CAG both had that in common as well. He and Warner Brothers did not fucking get along uh, at all. Hysterical. And, uh, yeah, and then, of course, Bogey and Bacall. That's all going to be in in part three. Deb, what's your thoughts? I mean, this this motherfucker's wild. (laughs) (laughs) He's a wild boy. Bogey's a wild boy. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Drake Cummings, on Twitter at Drake underscore Cummings, on TikTok at Hollywood Drake, on my YouTube at Drake Cummings, my merch store at RagingTwainsMerch.com. Follow along with fun stuff at AbracadabraDev on Twitter. Or anywhere. Boom. And you can... (laughs) You can find uh, Film History, The History of Film, all over the socials, FHHF Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at Jimmy Deloy or James Wyatt Scott, depending on where you're looking for me. And you can also find me in a speakeasy way too late at night, knowing damn well that I got to be on stage tomorrow (laughs) to meet the wife, but I don't give a fuck about those white pants willy rolls anyway. That's been Film History, The The History of Film. You know what I'm talking about!